Coffee Time Theology. Yeah. Kia ora welcome to Coffee Time Theology. Yeah. I'm Stu. And I'm Grace. And we're here to talk to you about theology while drinking coffee. The coffee is important. Yeah, it's incredibly important. The coffee Um, helps the theology go down. Just a, (laughs) we're going to talk theology. We have been enjoying some fun conversations with people on our Instagram page. So if you have an Instagram and you'd like to chat with us, go find us on Instagram at Coffee Time Theology. And just message us if you have any questions or anything that you'd like us to talk about. We have a list of suggestions of topics that people have sent in so that we know that what we're talking about is relevant for people. Yeah, so we're working through those. Or if you just want a message to be like, hey, I liked that. Some people do that. Sometimes we have full-on conversations, but sometimes we just get like, that was cool. I enjoyed that. And we appreciate those messages. So, you know, Instagram us. Yo. Yo. Yo, because Instagram is cool with the kids. And, no, there's hello, a story. Hello, fellow kids. Hello, fellow I also kids. am young. Uh-huh. So a couple of years ago, this isn't related, a couple of years ago, Grace and I, someone wanted to come talk to us to do a community scan, which is really cool. They were trying to figure out what was in the community, I think for study or something. And in the conversation with us, they asked us if we'd heard of Instagram. Oof. And they were just like, there's this thing that it could be really useful for you guys. And I just don't know if you will have heard of it. And it was just it's, one of those. It's called Instagram. It's called Instagram. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, wow, this person thinks we're old. This is fine. This is fine. I'm fine. Yeah. It was also a moment of like, do not recite the deep magic to me. I, I was, was there. there. When it was re- Anyway, like it was just <laughs> one of those moments of being like, we have been using Instagram for a good chunk of your life. It's this fine. Is fine. <sighs> anyway, we're on Instagram and we feel old about it sometimes. So that was a nice connection into what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Instagram and social media are a huge part of today's culture and society. And and so what we were going to talk about today was specifically, you know, the question of what's our place within culture, mm. you know? And there's this understanding from the Bible that people will run with of this concept of in the world, but not of the world. Mm. And I guess today we're challenging an understanding of that. There's this old, old school song that says in it, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Mm. And that's always been such a challenging lyric for me to wrestle with because I don't think I agree with it. How dare I? How dare you? I think this is my world and this is my home. Mm. And even if I am passing through, how can I not care about the world and the things around me and There's how it so impacts much, me? So much theology to unpack in just those moments, you know, like, is the world going to be destroyed? New heaven, new earth. I don't know, end times eschatology? No. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the word. Is that the word? That is the word, Excellent. yes. Good. You know, all of that. We're actually just going to gloss over all of that right now because mm-hmm. that's a tangent. That's a whole different podcast. That's a whole big thing. But that idea of in the world of the world, Mm. in the world not of the world, is I think a challenge that we as Christians and as churches have 
failed at a bunch of times, succeeded at a bunch of times too, but it's mm. something that I just think we need to wrestle with. It's a constant push and pull of people being, no, we need to be separate from the world and better than the world and other people going, but we need to be in the world and reaching the world and understand what the world is in order to be able to communicate. And I think of Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney movie specifically. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. You've never seen it, I've hey? never seen it. Okay, cool. So we're just going to pause this and go watch a Disney movie. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not true. However, Grace, you should 100% watch The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I've seen the fire song. <laughs> Hellfire. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is a creepy as song. I know. You made me watch it. <laughs> That's not the song I was actually thinking of, but there's a song from Hunchback okay. uh, that Frollo is singing. Frollo is the, the like vicar. I don't know. Ah, the, the, the evil vicar. <laughs> I don't know if he's a vicar. I don't know if it's an Anglican church. I don't know. It, it's in France. They are Catholic. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I, thank you for, <laughs> it's in France. So the priest, the song where he sings, he's like, the world is cruel. The world is wicked. I am your only friend. And he's talking to the Hunchback trying to get him to stay inside. and But in that line, you know, the world is cruel, the world is wicked, that kind of this church here is a bastion against that. I think that's a space that we've embraced quite often as the church. You know, the world is cruel, um, the world is wicked. We are in the world, but we're not part of the world. Mm. And it doesn't sit nicely, you know? Well, sticking with the Disney movies. Sure, yep. Yep. There's been another portrayal of almost the same, the same idea, the same philosophy, mm-hmm. but in Rapunzel now and Mother Mother Gothel mm-hmm. things to Rapunzel. You know, you can't go out there because there's men with pointy teeth, plague. <laughs> yes, I do remember that song. That's a yeah. great. That's a great movie. Mother knows best. Mother yeah. will protect you. Yeah, yeah. The world is bad. The world is bad, um, and. Part of the whole point of the movie is Rapunzel discovering that actually, while there are bad things in the world, yes, the world is actually also really good. Mm. And there's so much to be celebrated and learned and loved about the world, even the things that might initially come across as scary. That's good. That's good. We believe in a God who created the world and it was good. Mm. You know, and this, you know, the fall, we'll just put that to the side for now. But the very first, you know, sort of chapters in the Bible are communicating how everything is fundamentally Yeah, good. everything is awesome. The world is good, is innately good. Maybe people are good. There's the spark of the divine in them, which is good. The world is good. God's creative energy is focused on creating things that are good. And then we take Jesus mm. and we take the whole concept of incarnation, mm-hmm. you know, and God being human, human, you know, Jesus, heart of the world, inherently human fundamentally part of the world while also being fundamentally God and not being separate from creation in that space, you know, coming in to be a part of and live in the world, moving into the neighborhood, being part of the community. And that was a a huge big thing in theology for a very long time. The early theologians struggled with this idea of human philosophy at the time was arguing that humanity was fundamentally bad and kind of gross and yucky. And so God being everything that is good could not have been human because the two aren't compatible. And so that Jesus coming as a person, he must have not been like an actual human person. He must have been just like God, but human shaped. Mm. 
because it's too too yucky to imagine God and all God's amazing, wondrous goodness being human and experiencing the humanness of potty training and learning how to eat and uh, learning how to walk and falling over and hurting himself and arguing with parents and all of the things that are innate parts of becoming and learning and being human. And we believe that Jesus in that space, when we're talking about the world, Mm. you know, we're talking about the grossness of the world, not everything the world encompasses. Mm. You know, when we have the scripture in John where Jesus is praying for they're not of the world as I am not of the world. You know, that kind of specific space. We're talking about the the corruptedness of the world, not everything that is in the world. Because mm. God is present in the good parts of the world. The joy of a baby laughing mm. is not the part of the world that Jesus doesn't want to be part of, right? Yeah. Like there's good and there's stuff in that. And so there's there's this understanding that we need to start with that the world doesn't mean the whole world in that space. In the New Testament language, they used the world as shorthand for the fallenness of things. Mm. So the things that are broken and not working and hurting each other, that's the world. And the things that aren't that are of God. So it's kind of used as the opposite of the things that are of God is of the world. So that's a really important thing for us to grab because we're not talking about our cultural context mm. being the world. We're not yeah. necessarily talking about everything else in the world is the world in these terms. Yeah. You know, there's this idea from Tangled and the Hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, the world is cruel, the world is wicked. The world is scary and filled with scary. men with pointed teeth. You know. The plague. <laughs> Stuff. Would just upset me. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good movie. Anyway, like that concept of the darkness in the world mm. doesn't encompass everything in the world. Yeah. But I think we have this tendency to simplify complicated things in ways that aren't necessarily helpful. Yeah. Well, it's easier to use the world to mean the world, the, literally everything, <laughs> everything, right? And, you know, with, with that in mind, this idea of who Jesus calls us to be, it's really easier for us to just distance ourselves from our cultural context, from mm the world and from the good things in the world. So it lands us with this question of like, well, what, what does it mean to reflect Jesus into the world? You know, what does it mean to recognize that the world is also good? Probably a cliche by now, but a lot of Christians know people that they would potentially cheekily describe as too heavenly minded to be of any <laughs> earthly good. Yep. Cool. Yep. Of the, the people who have decided that the world is bad and so the only way to live in purity and righteousness with God is to remove themselves from it entirely. And that is a calling. Like for some people, you know, we talked about um, contemplative practices and people who make their life that. That's that's them. You know, that's mm-hmm. what God calls them to do. So it's not a inherently negative thing. But, but if it's not a calling and it becomes a negative thing, mm. then it becomes a negative thing, right? It means people are then saying that anything that is earthly or of the world is necessarily bad. Or anything that doesn't fit into a Western interpretation of scripture is necessarily bad. It's really easy to label things that are from this world that God created as bad if they don't fit into our understanding of of what is our context Mm. and what the world is. I know people who grew up in very strict Christian households who decided that their interaction with 
popular culture was unholy because it was worldly and so that they weren't allowed to read the popular books that all the other kids were reading or watch the movies that all of the other kids were watching or listen to music that isn't Christian music. Yeah. And that, like, those things there are kind of what brings us to the topic. You know, this is where Mm. that that question comes from, um, how do I live in a world, you know, that doesn't reflect God, Mm. you know, or, like, where what's a Christian's responsibility to speak into culture? Great questions, massive, big questions. Mm. And we've been wrestling with this. You know, every Christian ever has been wrestling with this. Yeah. And there's some modern challenges that are added into this space. A great example is, you know, cultural norms change over time. Yeah. Right. And so we have this tension that we sit with as Christians around what's the cultural norm that's moved with the time? What's the thing Jesus has asked us to speak into? Mm. Yeah, that's a massive question. I think uh, recently the censoring rules around music have changed. Mm. And so there are words that used to be censored that are no longer censored on the radio. Yeah. And Um, words that didn't used to be censored that now are. Okay. So does that mean that they didn't used to be a bad thing to say? Like in terms of, you know, what does God call us to be? Oh, I don't, oh, I don't know. Or is it now okay to say this word that it used to be massively frowned upon? Where does a Christian sit in that space in terms of honoring Mm. God? And that's a huge, huge question because if we answer it for swearing, because the swearing one, if I'm being honest, the swearing one feels really easy to answer mm. because like if we look at our scriptures and we look at our instructions and our belief that God doesn't want us to offend people or cause them to stumble or mm. speak curses, you know, those are some of the languages. If something isn't considered a curse anymore and if it's not offensive to the person around you, is it a big deal? Uh, I uh. think no. In the same way that something can become offensive that didn't used to be. Well, if it's causing harm, yeah. If it's putting someone down, oh, you, yeah, hundred percent. We should stop. So that's actually, I think, a really easy one for modern Christians to wrestle with. Being like, actually, our understanding of language and offense has changed, and so where swearing is way more acceptable than it used to be, and a lot of people, it's just part of the normal culture and. There's lots of even companies now where swearing's a perfectly normal part of the workplace that yeah. it used to be completely unacceptable in. And then we've also got this whole thing around trigger warnings and being aware with our content and our language about what effect it might have on people. And that's a new thing that's come in. where So things that were said that are now considered really offensive because we've recognised the harm that they have done mm. as a part of like just the normal vernacular. Oh, yeah. 50 years ago. Or, or phrases or idioms that now I have to call up every now and then and be like, hey, hey, dad, that, that phrase you just used, actually that has racist undertones. And I know that you don't know that. Yeah. I know that for you it's just a phrase, but it's been pointed out to me that it hurts people. And mm. so I can't let that sit anymore. And that's, mate, that's like the modern kind of space of Christianity where we have to wrestle in because it's, it's mm. not actually up for culture to dictate what is right and wrong, but at the Mm. same time, what's right and wrong might be informed by culture. Yeah. So if the swearing one's an easy one, we might move to one that becomes slightly trickier for people, uh, depending on where you sit and, you know, your culture. Mm. But so like women in leadership, right? Right. As a cultural norm is moved. Yes. um, And is moved to a place uh, where it's not perfect, you know, so many lessons to learn, so many things to still deal with, but, women being accepted in places that have been historically or culturally men, those are things that people are wrestling with. I've been like, okay, well, okay, can we recognize 
what's cultural and what's God honoring, mm. you know, and that's been a struggle for Christian churches, right? Because yeah. we have, we have scriptures that are written in their contexts. Mm. We have scriptures that are written in specific contexts that cause people to go, Oh, but this is scriptural. So this is, you know, this is objective fact. And you're like, well, scripture was written into a context, yeah. Um, but it's been this thing that Christians are still wrestling with. And yes. again, that's one that culture has kind of moved a lot faster than some Christian conversations. And it even means that as a female Christian leader, my secular connections that I talk to sometimes struggle to believe that it's something that I still have to deal with, that having to fight for my place at the table is such an unusual thing in the rest of the world now that the fact that I do still have to sometimes comes as a shock. And it is kind of shocking. Yeah. But this is where that responsibility, I think, for us to come in and and to sit down and wrestle with our theology, you know, and wrestle with like, okay, where where do I think God is speaking to this in the scripture? Mm. Where's let's let tradition inform us, but yeah. let's be reasonable about it. Mm. Like let's let's dissect the things. Okay, cool. Does that actually make sense with what I'm reading in the Bible? Does that make sense with what my peers are telling me? Does that make sense with what I believe God is saying to me? All yeah. of that becomes really important because we start getting into really tricky, really tricky things that we're not even going to pretend to try answer. Or we can start with one that's, you know, hopefully not too controversial. Ankles. Ankles. Yep. Right? So like I this idea. So thing, do you. Yep. The average person. The average person. Has at least one ankle. Yeah, probably is like, it's probably the thought of like the average person has 1.8 ankles or something. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, so ankles, yep. you know, used to be this thing that is like, no, no, you cover your ankles. Having them showing was a sign that you were, you weren't fit to be in polite society because either you were still a child or you were working in an industry where shorter dresses were required because you were doing other stuff. Yep. And so like, that's, that's a, like, we'll start there because surely everyone understands that like ankles aren't. Ankles aren't inherently sinful. Inherently sinful. And there's a cultural context that we've moved on in that space. Mm. Uh, But then it starts to get, okay, like short shorts, you know? Why do people care so much about spaghetti straps? I guess that's something for us to step back and go, okay, is it the, is it the ankle that was inherently sinful or mm. was it the cultural context of the time? Because one of the things that we have to be careful of is not saying that something was right or wrong historically. Yeah. Um, what we can talk about if it was right or wrong for now. Obviously, there's some exceptions. Yeah. Slavery, always bad. Yes. Yep. Always cool. bad. Yep. Um, but this idea of Christian women needing to cover up because it is decreed by St. Paul. It's like actually what Paul was talking about, the word that is translated into the English as modest means modest as in not flaunting wealth, not modest as in not flaunting body. And so the instruction was actually don't cover yourself in gold and jewelry and be, you know, flouncing around town being really rich and flouncing, flouncing around town, dripping in jewels. That's actually not a helpful thing for a Christian woman to be doing. And it's like, yeah, most Christian women would probably still agree with that. And then there's the modesty of required by society, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll put aside the Christian thing for a little bit, you know, like the modesty required for just healthy societal boundaries Mm -hmm. and space has moved a lot Mm. over the last hundred years. Mm. And so it comes down to that question of what of the world do we take on and move with and what do we stand against? Because the default in this conversation of in the world but not of the world Mm. is that everything of the world is negative. Yeah. That's not even getting to some of the more complicated topics. 
but it's easy for us to push back against things because of tradition and to say, well, this is like, I'm a Christian. So this is like, oh, that might not be true anymore. Mm. Is, is the reason you're like that inherently rooted in who God is? As always, we don't have a lot of answers in this space, but we, we do have some, you know, one of these big ones is I think what we're called to do is be part of culture, be reflections of our culture around us. You know, mm. there is, our culture shapes us. Yeah. And it's really important for us to recognize that. Uh, but it's also really important for us to be able to step back and, and ask where God is asking us to speak Jesus into culture. You know, there are things that society may tell you about your worth, that our culture might tell us that you are not worth something because, I don't know, you're not productive. You know, you're, you're not worth something because you're not contributing productivity or whatever the thing is. And there might be a space in that for us to actually go, actually, I don't think that's in line with who Jesus says I am. Actually, you're inherently valuable because you're created in the image of God and you don't have to be productive to be worth something. And and so there's there's times where us speaking Jesus into culture is actually needed and required. Mm. But I think there's also times where we have taken that mantle of um, standing against things that may have been culturally inappropriate a hundred years ago that now are just the norm and we seem like idiots. Do we do we really need to be fighting that battle? Or do we need to recognize that actually like God can be in places that we don't expect them to be? Mm. And if we're telling people that they can't listen to this music or watch that movie or watch that TV show, they might actually miss out on something God has to say to them. Yeah. That I can hear God through the words of Bob Dylan just as much as I can hear God through the words of the music team on a Sunday morning sometimes. Mm. And who are we then to say that that's not of God? Who are we then to say that we need to cut those things that are of the world out of our lives to live with God? It's so easy, so easy for us to be like, this is my interpretation, this is my culture, this is my understanding, this is right, mm. when it's it's not objectively right. Mm. You know, like it's it's there's so much arrogance, you know, that that's held in that space of being like, my way is always right. What I've been brought up in is always right. And I think that that question, you know, what is asking Jesus, what is Jesus asking me to speak into? Mm. What is God asking me to reflect God into and really wrestling between God and ourselves in that? Because there's some huge value in the spaces that we don't understand. Yeah. And there's some huge inherent goodness in culture that we might lose if we're convinced that our call is to fight it at every step. So how can we step back to that idea of seeing the world as this inherently good thing that God created, but recognizing that there is fallenness and there is brokenness and there is hurt inside it, and that that's what we're called to stand against with Jesus, not the world by itself. And to constantly be challenging ourselves. Mm. is like, have I decided this is bad? Has someone told me this is bad? Where is God in this? Do I just find it icky? And if so, am I wrong? Mm. Great question. Mm. Am I wrong? We're allowed to be wrong. Yeah. And so God help us when we're wrong. Yeah. You know, to recognize that. So that's kind of, that's kind of us for today. There's some thoughts for you. There's some thoughts. There's some theology. Hopefully you've you've had some coffee. Yeah. I was just going to say, hopefully you've enjoyed your coffee. Yeah. And enjoyed spending your coffee time with us. So as always, take a deep breath. Know that you are loved. Drink some more water. And have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.
spoonful of coffee makes the theology go down in the most delightful, delightful way. way. Okay. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> are, are you okay, Stu? <laughs> that was genuinely funny.